Welcome to His Church Owensboro Podcast. We are so excited about what God is doing in your life, and we would love to hear from you. Visit us at hischurch.cc and let us know about all of the things that God is doing in your life. If you have been blessed by this podcast and would consider supporting us financially, please visit hischurch.cc and click on Give to see the many options available. Thank you for joining us. We hope this message blesses you. campuses watching online right now. What's up? Owensboro, Henderson, Dumas, Texas, we love you. And there's 96 more of you coming soon. Can I get an amen out there, right? We're going to keep growing and going, and uh, I'm pumped to be here with you. I want to let uh, everybody know that I'm praying. We have so many people that work in different industries, and they have different opinions on what's happening in the world with vaccinations, COVID, and whatnot. And I'm praying for everybody that's being pressured to do something right now that they may not want to do. How many think we still ought to have a choice in America? I'm for you to have your choice. I'm praying for you. And I stand with you, regardless of what side of the issue you are. Come on, this is not North Korea. Can I get an amen out there? Amen. And, uh, you you know, I just, I love this nation. I'm thankful for our freedoms, and we want to stay a free nation. Amen. But, But today, I'm not talking about that. That was all free. That was all free right there. I'm talking about King David. Now, I want to talk to you about the great, who I believe is the greatest king, that ever lived on the planet other than the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. If you look up at at the breadth of David's life, look at everything that David did, everything David was, everything that David accomplished, I think an appropriate title for King David would be King David the Great. We're talking about a man that expanded the kingdom of Israel. We're talking about a man that wrote half of the Psalms. We're talking about a man that laid up money to build the temple. We're talking about a man who drove back the enemies of Israel. Come on, we're talking about a man that took the head of Goliath, carried it to his enemy's camp, and still, still was one of the greatest worshipers that ever lived. See, I call him David the Great, and today we're going to look at one of the aspects of David that I think is the greatest aspect of David, and it's David the Psalmist or David the Worshiper. Here's what I want to be more every day, every year of my life. I want to be more a man of worship every day of my life. I want to be more like Jesus, closer to Jesus. Now, I'm telling you what, the Bible says that the Father is looking for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And if you want to find God, you become a worshiper of God and God will come and find you. How many of y'all think that sounds like a good deal if God himself will come looking for you? But, but now, I was raised in a context where really men didn't worship. And I came up thinking that worship was a feminine thing. So, so uh, let me ask you some questions out there. How many of y'all were raised in, in the Catholic Church? Let me, see, let me see my Catholic friends. All right. How, how many of y'all were raised Baptist Church? I was raised Baptist. What about, what about charismatic churches? Holy mackerel, tabernacle people. Though, if now You're my people now. Uh, got any Methodists out there? Any Methodists? No? Not many Methodists in West Texas. Got one lonely Methodist right over here. Y'all, y'all give them a hand clap. One lonely, lonely Methodist. But... Uh, I'll tell you, a lot, it doesn't matter the denomination. A lot of times those churches vary greatly from church to church, leader to leader, right? Personality to personality. And I was raised in kind of an old school church that was extremely conservative. So you walked into our church and it kind of felt like 
kind of felt, it was, it was decorated like a funeral home. And so you, you walk in, you're kind of like, where's the body, right? There's got to be a body around here somewhere. And uh, older building, so it had the smell. I still love that church, and I'm thankful for them. They taught me the gospel. Come on, they taught me the Beatitudes. They taught me the Ten Commandments. They taught me the Roman road to salvation. Did anybody memorize the Roman road to salvation when you were a kid out there? Come on, that's, that's powerful. We need to do that here. I'm thankful. But I'll say this. One of the things we really didn't understand was worship. And so more is caught than taught in the area of worship. Let me say that again. More is caught than taught in the area of worship. I can tell you about worship, but until you're in the atmosphere of worship, you probably won't understand it. And as a little boy, I can remember sitting on the pew there in the church, I had two older brothers and my father. And this is the way the, the mind of a little boy will work, or at least my mind worked. Maybe yours doesn't, maybe I'm weird or something, but uh, I don't know, y'all could suggest a psychologist to me if I need one later. But I, I, was, I was looking down the row, I remember sitting in that, in that Baptist church, and my dad, when he would sit in the pew, he would shake his leg. Getting leg shakers out there right now, leg tappers, Yeah. And I remember looking at him shaking his leg. Then my oldest brother was right beside him, and he was shaking his leg. And then my brother Ben, who his kids are on the front row right now, Ben was shaking his leg. And I remember looking down that row at my dad and my older brother shaking their leg, and I thought, men shake their legs in church. And I made a conscious decision to shake my leg, and I've been shaking my leg in church for 44 years now, just like that, right? Well, the same thing happened in worship with me. I remember watching the, the song leader get up to sing. My mom would sing. My mom would cry some during worship. My dad would tell her to stop it. People are going to think I beat you or something. But, but, but she would cry some in worship. But what my dad did and the other men in the house, we stood there at attention. We never sang. Hands crossed. And we, we just stood there. So I began to think that worship was a feminine attribute. Until I read about the life of David. And then I discovered a man who was a man of war, who was a leader's leader, who became a billionaire. Come on, who took the head of a giant, killed a lion and a bear, took the stronghold, took their city, and made it the city of David. I found a warrior who was also a worshiper. Let me tell you, men, worship is not a feminine attribute. Worship is an attribute of a godly person. You can be masculine and still be a man of worship. Come on, ladies. How many of y'all want to have a worshiping man in your household? Amen. And if we'll learn to worship, our sons and our daughters will fall in line. Can I get an amen out there? See, David comes on the scene as a worshiper, right? The prophet comes to his father's house looking for the next king of the nation of Israel. Tells him, bring all your boys out. God spoke to me. There's a king. There's a king in your household, Jesse. And Jesse left young David back tending the sheep, brought the other boys out. He had, he had to go. The prophet says the next king's not here. He had to go get David. Where was David? David's out in the fields, probably with his harp, maybe with his song, maybe pinning something like he's watching those sheep in the field. Maybe he's, maybe he's out there looking into the heavens, saying, the Lord is my shepherd. I don't need anything. No, that doesn't rhyme very well. I, I, the Lord is my shepherd. I, I shall not want Somewhere out there, 
that heart of worship began to draw the heart of God. Now, I believe it's that heart of worship in David that took David from being a shepherd boy to being the sovereign king of all of Israel. Here's what I'm saying to you. I don't think that we'll ever become everything we're called to be until we adopt a heart of worship because the King of kings and the Lord of lords have made us, come on somebody, to lift his name, to praise his name, to lift him up, to honor him and worship him. And whenever we become a person of worship, I think it opens up our heart to dream the dream of God. So God anoints David to become the next king, but he's not going to be the next king for years and years and years. Here's where David comes on the scene. You can look at it later. I, I want to preach, but I want you to look at it later. You, you can find this whole story, 1 Samuel chapter 16, 1 Samuel chapter 16. And I'll just read you a couple of verses at the end. Here's what it says. 1 Samuel chapter 16, it's talking about Saul. And Saul becomes almost a paranoid schizophrenic as a leader. Right, he starts thinking everybody's there to kill him. Um, the Bible says the Spirit of God departed from Saul, and a vexing spirit came upon Saul. So Saul could never find comfort. He was always distressed. Really, he'd gotten demonized at this point in his life. And so somebody comes to Saul and says, listen, what you need is you need a worshiper to come and to play music, to come and to worship the Lord. Somebody that's skillful on an instrument, and as they play You'll get some relief. And here's, here's what the Bible says. It says this. Then Saul sent to Jesse saying, please let David stand before me for he has found favor in my sight. And so it was whenever the spirit from God talking about the evil thing because Saul had disobeyed God. Now the blessing is lifted and something else had come upon him was upon Saul. David would take a harp and play it with his hand. Then Saul would become refreshed and well, and the distressing spirit would depart from him. My prayer is that whenever we come together and we worship, whenever we come together and we lift our hands and our voices and our hearts, that that thing that's been distressing you, that thing that's been concerning you, that thing that's been vexing you, that thing that's been poisoning you, that thing that's been depressing you, come on, that thing that's been oppressing you, that it would have to leave your life while the joy and the presence washes over you. So Saul's there, he's a paranoid wreck. They bring young David in. Why? Because he's a worshiper. David learned to play that harp. I don't know where he got it. Maybe he got it, uh, maybe he bought it at a secondhand store. His dad, I, I don't think Jesse gave it to him because Jesse really didn't even like David. But he got his hands on a harp. And he learned to play that thing. And he began to sing to God. And, and this heart of worship. Till finally the Bible says he became skillful. He was a skillful musician. Come on, let's give all of our music people a big hand clap and all of our worship leaders and all of our tech people. Come on, let's really, let's really, they put a lot of work in. Thank you for creating an atmosphere for us. And, and David became that. And so Saul would start flipping out, freaking out. He's losing his mind, becomes, becomes paranoid and a mess. In walks young David. David would start playing. Saul would find relief. It was only in that music that Saul would feel better. I'm telling you, I've had times in my life where the stress and the pressure was on so high. Wasn't it wasn't that I'd left God or wasn't that I was in some big sin or wasn't it that I'd, I'd given up on the things of God? But how many of y'all have ever been a time where, where life was like a pressure cooker, Right? It didn't matter which way you turned, there was trouble coming at you. 
There's a bullseye on your life. There's been times like that in my life that were so, I don't know how to explain it, so heavy that the only place I would find great relief would be in the midst of his presence in worship. When I came in there as I magnified the Lord, right, when you magnify the Lord, you're making God bigger. To magnify something is to make something bigger. When you magnify the Lord, you're magnifying him, and then all of the problems you have begin to get smaller. That's what worship will do in your life. But I wasn't used to this kind of thing. I remember coming to church here and uh, years ago in the 90s, and I'm talking back in the 90s, church was different than it is now. How many of y'all remember some of those marathon services, three, four hours long, right? Uh, can any, how many of y'all were raised in a church where people ran around the sanctuary during the song service? Let me see you. Oh, yeah, you got your charismatic badge. You're the real deal out there, right? So I remember, I remember coming to services like this, and uh, there's a beauty to that, by the way. When people are free in worship, and there really is, but, but I remember, I wasn't used to that kind of thing, and I remember people, people be up there, and somebody would encourage us to lift our hand, and I didn't want to do it, because I'm like, I'm a tough guy, and tough guys don't worship like that, that's for women or something, and I remember God moving on me, and finally I would do something like this, I'd lift my hand like this, right, lift your hands, I'd kind of, kind of give it the baby seal right here on the side, and uh, then if the lights were down low, right, the lights were down low. Maybe I'd get it here about half-mast or something. Um, I remember God working on me to become a person of worship. Finally, I, the Word always became, nat it was natural to me. I've always loved to read the Bible. I've loved the Scriptures. Prayer and worship, I had to learn. And I, I remember finally God talking to me. I was in a room with thousands of people. Maybe Center, Oral Roberts University. I was there going to school. God spoke to me. There was nobody in the altar. God said, I want you to walk down there in the altar, lift both of your hands, and worship me like you meant it. And I'm like, that must be a word for Jesse. God, God, Jesse, God told you to walk down to the altar. Look, come on, I'm hearing somebody, lift both your hands and worship God like you mean it, right? That can't be for me. And uh, no, I did it. I walked down there in front of all those people. I lifted my hands. And I began to worship the Lord. And I'm telling you, things broke off of me unlike I'd ever felt before in my life. And I became free to worship that day. See, listen, worship is something that you were created to do. Let me say that again. Worship is something you were created to do. Let me say it one more time. Worship is something that you were created to do. Let me say it one more time. To the, hey, worship is something that you were created to do. David learned that. It's one of the keys of David. It's why God could trust him with the kingdom of Israel. And David was messed up. God still trusted him because he had a heart after God. So, listen, David's this man of worship. Time goes on. David keeps going higher and higher because you can't keep a person that worships God down. And so finally, David's going to ascend to not just be the king over Judah, but the king over Israel as well. And he's going to unite those two kingdoms, and he's going to take Israel to its glory days. But something you cannot keep a man of worship away from is you cannot keep a man of worship away from the presence of the living God. During David's day, the most symbolic thing of the presence of God on the earth was something called the Ark of the Covenant. How many of y'all know what the Ark of the Covenant was? So the, the Ark of the Covenant was this golden box 
made out of Achaia wood. God told Moses when he's bringing the children of Israel out of Egypt, take them to the promised land. I want you to build this box. It's going to be made out of a certain kind of wood. Then I want you to overlay the box with gold. There's four corners of this box. It's going to be rings there. No man is to touch this box. There'll be, there'll be wooden poles that go through these rings, and the priests can carry this box on their shoulders when they move it, but no man can touch it. On the top of it, Moses had these artistic people. Now, I'm thankful for the beauty that artists bring to the world. Amen? Most of the time, they're not appreciated till they're dead and gone, but, but they make the world beautiful. It said, bring the artists and have them fashion two golden cherubim, which are angelic creatures, facing each other on top of the box. Moses dedicated the tabernacle. The glory of God filled that place. And that box, the Ark of the Covenant, became a symbol of the throne of God on the earth. In Moses' tabernacle, this is how it worked, where they would worship during the days of Moses. There was an outer court people, people could, could walk through. Then there was a holy place. There was a curtain. Holy place. Only certain people could get in there. Then inside of there, there was the Holy of Holies. That was the most holy place there was in the world, where the Ark of the Covenant, we're talking about the throne room of God, only one man could go in there once a year. And after the priesthood was created, Aaron would go in there one day a year, Yom Kippur or the Day of Atonement. They would pour out a blood sacrifice before God. If you follow the history and look through what, what the Jewish rabbis in history say about high priests in Israel. Most of them died about a year, a year and a half into their service. Because they went into the holy place where God was. And some of them weren't prepared when they got in there. So listen, the Ark of the Covenant was stolen from the people of God. Taken to a foreign place. And Saul didn't even bother to go get it. But whenever David becomes king, how many of you know, you're not going to keep a man of worship away from the throne of God. He's going to bring the throne back to the people of God. Come on, church. How many of y'all want to make a place for the throne of God in the midst of our church? You want a place of the throne of God in the midst of Amarillo, Texas, in the midst of Owensboro, Kentucky? I want the throne there. David goes and he, he tries to get the ark. He doesn't do it the right way. He doesn't study the Bible. He just goes and gets it takes the ark, he throws it on a new cart. They start driving it back to Jerusalem. They even make a show out of it. People are dancing and singing and stuff. And they hit a pothole in the road. That ark starts to fall off of the cart they put it on. A couple of guys there reach up and they touch the ark. No man's supposed to touch it. Both of them drop dead. How many know that'll mess a party up when a couple of guests drop dead, right? And, and so David leaves it at a guy's house by the name of Obed-Edom. And he goes into town to consult with the priests. How do we move the throne of God? What do we do? Apparently I've done something wrong. I got two guys killed. I didn't study the Torah. I didn't read the word. I didn't know what I was doing. How many know Christians, we ought to study the word. We ought to know what we're doing. We ought not haphazardly handle the things of God. Can I get an amen out there? Do y'all believe God's still sacred and God's still holy? See, I'm, I'm for casual church. I'm thankful that it's not like it used to be. But there's something we've lost with our casualness because God is still a God to be revered. God is still a God to be feared. It's the fear of the Lord that's the beginning of wisdom. Amen? So he goes back, he, he studies. He's like, what do we do? And he learns, ah, you, can't, you can't put that on a cart. 
couple of priests have to carry it on their shoulders. There's a way you do these things. By the way, while that ark was at Obed-Edom's house, the Bible says, as long as the ark remained at Obed-Edom's house, God blessed everything that Obed-Edom had. Be pretty cool to store the ark at your house, wouldn't it? That's quite a conversation piece. You have some dinner guests over? Like, come on in here, I got something to show you, boys. What is it? It's an antique replica of a gun or something? No, it's the throne of God. What do you have in your living room, right? I got this, I got this throne in my, in my room. And um, can you imagine walking by that thing at night, headed to the bathroom? Glory of God right there in your living room. I'd walk way around that thing because I knew other people died when they touched it, right? Kids, don't get too close to that. As long as the ark was at Obed's house, Things started happening. Everything he had, it prospered. He had some teenagers that were driving him crazy. F's and D's. Obed's kids made the principal's list for the first time ever. How many of y'all want a little bit of that in your house? Can I get an amen? Amen? Obed's marriage was on the rocks. The ark shows up. Every time Obed walks in, Marvin Gaye's song comes on automatically when he walks in the house. Right? Things are changing. Amen? Obed's business was flopping. That ark, the presence of God got there. Come on, he was selling, he was selling stuff everywhere. He couldn't miss a deal. See, whenever the presence of God's in your house, things are different. You can tell, can't you, when you go in somebody's house, whether these are, these are spirit-filled people or not. There's a difference in the atmosphere. You can tell if there's something evil in a house, can't you, when you go in there? You can tell if there's something holy in a house. Obed's house was totally transformed. And he got blessed. But David said, listen, we can't leave the ark out there. He goes back and he gets it and he gets it the right way. Brings it back to Jerusalem. Now, here's what David does that's amazing. David the psalmist does this. He's written half of the psalms. David goes up to the highest point in Israel. It's where the Temple Mount is now, Mount Moriah, right? Right up there. You got Mount Moriah right behind it. You have Mount Zion. And David sets up what's called today the Tabernacle of David. Takes the Ark of the Covenant up there, sets it up. Here's what's interesting about the Tabernacle of David. I told you about the Tabernacle of Moses. There were three areas. But whenever David set up the Ark, listen to this. There was no separation between man and God. There was access before the Ark of the Covenant. God said in the book of Acts that his favorite tabernacle that was ever built was the tabernacle of David because God wants to come face to face with you in worship and praise and prayer and fellowship. Come on. God wants to rebuild the tabernacle of David and he wants to do it in the church. Whenever David put it up there, think about it. No matter where you were in Israel, during the night, you could look up on that hill. You could see the very Ark of the Covenant. There would be Thousands of people up there worshiping around the clock. David knew worship was so important. He literally hired people to worship the Lord so the blessing of God would stay upon Israel. Whenever they dedicated this thing, David himself wrote a psalm, a psalm of blessing to bless um, the Lord. I will open up your Bibles, First, First Chronicles chapter 16. It's interesting, the king himself, he didn't, he didn't send this off to a songwriter. He didn't call somebody, you know, from Nashville to write a good song for this. 
David said, we're setting up the Ark of the Covenant. I, I'm writing the song myself. And here's what David writes. He, he writes this. It's beautiful. It says this, First uh, Chronicles 16, verse 8, says this. He says, oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. How many of y'all want to make God's deeds known among the world? Amen. Sing to him, sing praises to him. Talk of his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his face forevermore. Remember his marvelous works which he has done, his wonders and the judgments of his mouth, O seed of Israel, his servant, your children of Jacob, his chosen ones. Here's some things that David tells people to do before, before the Ark of the Covenant, whenever he's telling them to worship. He tells them to sing. Come on, the Bible says that whenever we make a joyful noise, it blesses the Lord. And some of us, all we can do is make a joyful noise, but come on, your neighbor may not like it, but God likes it, so we ought to sing anyway. Amen? Make, make a joyful noise. He goes on and he says, you're to praise the Lord in verse 4. He says that you're, you're to rejoice and have joy before the Lord. Verse 10. He says, you're to clap your hands in the psalm, psalms. Come on, let's give the Lord a hand clap. That's why I say that. Come on, that, that's, a, that's a type of worship before the Lord. He says in, in verse 4, you're to shout to the Lord, right? You, you can shout out loud to God. That's, that's a type of worship. He says you can dance, verse 29 of this psalm. He says to lift up your hands, Psalm 134. Worship the Lord in bowing down, verse 29 of this same psalm. He says you, you seek the Lord at all times. And in verse 36, he said you can say amen. Come on, somebody say amen out there. All of these things happen at the tabernacle of David. God says this was his favorite tabernacle. David sets it up to be a house of worship for all generations. What's interesting is, is David goes on to become quite a success. And that's, that's an understatement. We're going to talk about some more of David's successes. And I'm going to tell you about David's biggest failures and biggest tragedies before the series is over. But one of the crowning achievements, I believe, of David's life is that this man of worship, this psalmist, he got it in his heart to build God a house. I don't know about you, but what I want to do with my life more than anything else is I want to build the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christian, that's what we're called to do. Can I get an amen out there? Doesn't matter if you're a plumber, you're a full-time church builder. Doesn't matter if you're an electrician, you're a full-time church builder. Doesn't matter if you're, if you're a mom there, man, raising kids, you're a full-time church builder. Come on, somebody, huh? Uh, build the house. David had in his heart to build God a house. And David had this real nice house. The Bible even describes it, it had panel walls. I mean, it was, it was high class. You're talking about the king of Israel. And he'd amassed a ton of wealth at this time. And he's there in his house one night, and he turns on his 80-inch plasma, and he's, you know, he's got his surround sound going. I don't know, he's probably eating caviar and smoking Cubans or something. And uh, he, he's sitting there, and it dawns on him. He says, wait a minute. I'm living pretty large, and God's still up there in a tent. If that doesn't speak to America, I don't know what should. How many of y'all in America, even when it's tough, it's pretty doggone good? Can I get an amen out there? How many of y'all would agree, compared to most of the world, we're living pretty large? How many of y'all are thankful for the grace that we have? 
David's sitting there and he's like, I'm living pretty large. And he's like, but God's tent, God, God's ark, it's up there in a tent. He says, so what I'm going to do is my house should not be nicer than God's house. I'm going to build God a house. And he gets up, the king gets up and he walks down to see the prophet. Because, listen, there are different lanes all of us live in. Some of us are primarily business. Some of us are primarily ministry. Some of us are primarily this and that. David was smart enough to go see the prophet. And he walks down and he sees the prophet. He says, hey, prophet, I'm going to build God a house. The prophet says, that's great, David. You should build God a house. And then David leaves and the prophet lays down. And the prophet missed it the first time. Because it doesn't matter if he's a prophet, he's still a man. I mean, no, they can still get it wrong. But this prophet was humble enough. He, he saw that he, he told David the wrong thing. God leans down to the prophet's ear. Says, David can't build my house. Prophet's like, why can't David build your house? Says he's got blood on his hands. Now, all of you that have served as, as military people, police officers, whatever it is, if you've had to spill blood to maintain peace, law, and order, I don't believe that David couldn't build the house of God because he was a soldier. The Bible says in the book of Romans, you did that as an instrument of God. There is a difference between killing and murder. Let me say it again. There is a difference between killing and murder. Sometimes killing is justified. Murder is different. You won't hear many pastors say that, but it's true. You read through the Torah, there are prescribed deaths for certain actions. Now I'm telling you, some people do things heinous enough, God can forgive them, but we can't trust them in normal culture anymore. Does that make sense? All right, so the reason David couldn't build the temple was not because he spilled blood as a soldier for Israel. It's because he assassinated Uriah because he wanted to take his wife. David couldn't build the temple. Because he killed a man for his wife. David didn't just kill. David became a murderer. So God said, he can't build my house. The prophet has to walk down to David. It's just a pretty gutsy move. Most powerful man in, in Israel. Said, hey, I got to tell you, David, I told you you could build God a house. But God says you cannot build his house. And you know, David heard no. I don't know about you, but I don't like no. I think no's for losers. Can I get an amen out there, right? I don't want to hear no, right? You know, one of the, the signs of spiritual maturity is learning to take no from the Lord with grace and class. A lot of people, they hear no, they're like, I feel led somewhere else. God's spoken to me to go somewhere else, amen? feel led. Jesus, Jesus is leading me. I heard no. David didn't do that. You know what David did? David said, okay, God says I can't build him a house. I won't build him a house. But I'm going to lay the plans for the next generation whose hands are clean. And that next generation can build the house that I have it in my heart to build for God. Because it's not just about me. It's about Solomon. It's about the kingdom. It's about Israel. It's about those that are yet to come. If we could see the world with legacy, Amen. Instead of just seeing about ourselves, we could change everything. David began to lay up resources. As a matter of fact, you know, David, 
does this building offering to build the temple in Israel. And don't get nervous. I'm not taking an offering this morning, all right? So stop sweating right now. But David, David puts together a billion-dollar gift himself, gives a billion dollars to build the temple. It's how much he wanted worship to happen in the midst of Israel. I'll tell you, I want to write a billion-dollar check to the glory of God someday. Amen. God, give me an Amazon. I will do it, do it well. Give me a Facebook. I will be good. Just try me. Here I am. Somebody say, here I am, Lord. Send me. Amen. Send me. And, and David takes that billion-dollar gift, goes up to, to the rest of the choice families of Israel, said, I brought a billion dollars to build the temple. Who this day will sanctify themselves with me? Bring an offering to the Lord. They bring another billion dollars to build the temple. Then David also laid up in the treasury of Israel another billion. So before they ever started to build the temple, even when David was told no by God, he got together $3 billion for the glory of God so that a place of worship could forever be in the midst of Israel. And that's still a sacred place to this very day. David the psalmist I want you to stand up on your feet. I'll close with this, this last idea. That tent, the worship team could go ahead and come out. That tent, that tabernacle, what, what, what it did before is at all times, there would be 288 voices that would sing to the Lord 24 hours a day, seven days a week. 288 voices. You know, my, my first job when I got out of uh, ORU, my wife and I graduated ORU, Took a job up, up in St. Joseph, Missouri. Jesse was the youth pastor, had a youth group of about 600 kids then. And uh, that was a, a, a full, how many of you think that's a full-time job? 600 teenagers, amen? And then I, I led a 24-hour a day, seven-day-a-week worship center. And it was my job to keep somebody in that worship center praying and leading worship around the clock. So I had to recruit you to, to pray at 3 o'clock in the morning. People, people hated me up there. They'd see me coming. They knew I wanted them to pray or sing at 3 or 4 in the morning. People ran from me. I became like a leper in my own church trying to put that together. But I'm telling you, I learned something about worship there. So listen, 288 voices. They sing to the Lord in the midst of Israel all the time. David lays out the plan for the temple. Do you know whenever he lays out the plan for the temple, he gets $3 billion together to build it? He has an area that was big enough it would seat 4,000 musicians that could worship God at one time. How many of y'all think our God cares about our worship? How many of y'all think our God cares about our praise? How many of you think our God cares that we got a heart of David, a heart after God? Amen? See, David the psalmist gave us so much revelation about the power of praise, the power of worship. It's that thing will take you from being a shepherd boy and it'll make you a king in life. What I declare over your life is you're going from being a shepherd and you're becoming a king. I say you're going to rule and reign in life. I declare you're going to rule and reign over depression. You're going to rule and reign over sickness. You're going to rule and reign over disease. You're going to rule and reign over the cares of this world. You're going to reign like a king because greater is he who's in you than he that is in the world. Whenever we worship him, I'm telling you, we're going higher in life. In just one minute, we're going to worship the Lord together. I feel like it would be appropriate as we go out of here that we worship him together. But before we do that, I, I just I want to pray very quickly. 
Father, I pray for a heart of worship to flow into this house. A heart of worship to flow into this house. A heart of worship to flow into this house. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.